I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show, episode 101. I feel as if we have passed through some sort of threshold <laughs> onto the other side of something. I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, thank you all so much for your feedback on episode 100. That was definitely a sort of strange and vulnerable and uncomfortable episode to release for various reasons. Um, one, because it was vulnerable, and two, because although I know this is my podcast, I um, have a tendency to wonder if I'm being too self-indulgent. Um, and uh, But yeah, I, I, I feel really good about it. <laughs> After the fact, I have gotten so many amazing messages from all of you about how you related to it and uh, that it was not necessarily a self-indulgent story about me and my family so much as the telling of a narrative that is so familiar to so many of us. Um, I love hearing from you guys in general all the time about anything. Um, it's really nice to connect with you and know who's out there listening and really kind of ground into the understanding and the knowledge that we are all on this journey together. Uh, so yeah, always always appreciate those messages and appreciate your time and attention. And here we are moving on into the future <laughs> past episode hundred, pretty wild. I'm excited. Um, today is a conversation with a dear friend of the podcast and a dear friend of me, uh, Jenny Kellogg, who's been on the show before Jenny and I did our astrology apprenticeship together back in 2018. Is that what it was? Yeah. 2018. Mm -hmm. She is um, by far one of my favorite spiritual people in the world. Um, I find her energy and her approach to be the exact right balance between sort of magic and mystery and hope and belief, but also intellectualism and groundedness and a realism. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate that and relate to her deeply. And I'm always grateful for her presence on the show for whatever it is we discuss. Uh, if you have not listened to the episodes that I've done with her in the past, I highly recommend doing so. Uh, today, we talked about the astrological significance of generations, which is a topic I've been wanting to revisit for quite some time. I did a podcast uh, with Tim Holleran back, it was like episode five, so many years ago. Um, and we talked specifically about the astrological significance of the millennial generation, which was obviously relevant to the show and extremely relevant to my inspiration for creating this podcast to begin with. 
but I've gotten many messages over the years of those of you who are not quote unquote millennials. Uh, shockingly, I have a lot of non millennial listeners, um, both older and younger than the millennial generation. And they felt left out, um, rightfully so. <laughs> I have people on this podcast and talk about things that are not always millennial uh, specific or millennial focused. So I wanted to take that initial conversation, which I still very much recommend, especially if you are a millennial or you are the parent to a millennial. Um, but I wanted to expand upon that conversation and include the other generations of humans that exist and are living on this planet right now. So whether you're a baby boomer or um, Gen Z, we cover all of it. We cover the relationship between those generations, the sort of chronology of the signs relative to the generations. And I'm not going to keep talking about that because we talk about it in our conversation. Um, today is Friday, September 24th. It is 2.45 p.m. in Guatemala, in Antigua, where I am now. And what that means is that tonight, at midnight, I will be raising the price for the Lunar Circle. And enrollment ends Monday, the 27th, at midnight, Mountain Time. Um, if some of you have been listening, I was going to raise the price back on the 20th, but decided to extend it. Uh, the reason I'm still raising the price now is because I have a shit ton of work to do <laughs> before now and October 4th when we begin um, coming up with uh, uh, custom transit calendars for everyone who is participating, uh, which is a good number of you at this point, and getting everything organized. So I'm raising the price to incentivize you to sign up sooner rather than later so I can have just a few more days to prepare and not be totally overwhelmed and stressed. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Lunar Circle is my basically introduction to astrology and psycholo uh, archetypal psychology course. It is very likely the last time that I will be teaching it. Um, I hate saying never because who knows but I definitely try to follow my inspiration and my alignment at any given time and not just offer courses for the sake of doing it. And I have a lot of other things that I'm looking forward to and planning on offering and focusing on, not in the form of courses necessarily, um, in the foreseeable future. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've also thought about ways that maybe I could like record this and offer it as some sort of pre-recorded course, but it's just too complex. Um, I find the group discussions, the specific lunar cycle that we're dealing with, the custom transit calendars that I make for everyone, there's just really no way for me to automate that or um, offer the program in the same level of integrity as I'd like to as a pre-recording. So now's the time. If you're hesitant to sign up, I definitely encourage you to do it. Um, it will also be undoubtedly helpful, this knowledge and information for future courses that I offer in the astrological realm. Uh, there will be some, but just not this. It's not going to be an introduction like this. So we meet together as a group for the course of one lunar cycle. I teach you how to read astrology charts. I teach you about your chart individually. I teach you about the mythology behind each of the signs. And as the moon moves through the sky, uh, the moon is moving through different signs. And we take the moon's path as an opportunity to really tune in and to intuit and to listen um, and to watch and to taste and to smell <laughs> for all of the signs of the symbology of these um, archetypes that present themselves in our daily lives. So uh, I never use astrology in any sort of a predictive fashion. I never look at transits and 
um, try to figure out what I'm going to do with my life based on those themes and energies. My preferred method of astrology is to simply experience life as I would experience it any other way and then refer to the chart and refer to the archetypes and the signs and the energy as a way to gain more insight about what I'm experiencing. So instead of having a bad day and being like, oh, well, Chiron is opposing my son and that's why I'm having a shitty day. Instead, I say, I'm having a shitty day, and what can I learn about the archetype and the symbolism behind Chiron opposing the sun that might give me some more insight into why I'm having a shitty day? And how can I use that information to move through this in a in, in an intentional and um, practical and meaningful way that helps me become a better person and helps me to become more self-aware? So that, broadly speaking, that is the tool that I teach you in this course. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I know I've been talking about it a bunch on episodes, uh, introductions of episodes for the last few episodes, so I won't focus on that too much. Um, but yes, if you'd like to sign up, you can go to Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S.com slash Lunar Circle. You can find all the information there. You do not need to attend the lectures live. Um, I specifically redesigned this course so that people in all sorts of different time zones, um, could participate. So as long as you can watch the lectures that I post within 24 hours, of course, you can attend them live if you are able, um, that's great. And then what you do need to attend or what I recommend attending are the group discussions. Uh, and you can find those options at the bottom of the enrollment form. Um, that's where you will meet with a smaller group to discuss what you experienced over the week and share that experience with other people and learn more about the multivalence of the archetype and of the sign through not just your own experience and your own insight, but um, from other people's experiences as well. Uh, one of the very unfortunate parts of modern day pop astrology um, is that we think these uh, signs and planets are very specific and um, have a sort of boxed in definition. And that is so, so, so far from the case. So this course is designed to actually increase the meaning of these things for you and to show you how multivalent they actually are um, through the mythology that I teach about, through reflecting on your own experiences and the experiences that you hear from other people. Uh, if you have any questions, if you need a payment plan, uh, let's make it work. I'm very flexible. Send me an email, anyakots at gmail.com. Send me a message on Instagram. Any of the above uh, will do. Um, also, pro tip, if you want to save 50 bucks on the course, I'm going to be raising the price, as I said, tonight at midnight for both patrons and non-patrons. Um, but if you become a patron at any level, you can pay 5 or $10 and save $50 on the course. <laughs> pro tip. Um, you can always cancel your Patreon subscription after that if you want. Um, okay. I think that's all I'm going to talk about for today. Excited to bring you this episode with Jenny. Um, I am going to play you in with a song called, uh, life don't last that long by Anders Osborne. Um, because life don't last that long people. <laughs> and, uh, I, I encourage all of you to find, to find meaning in your life in whatever way that happens, whether through astrology or not. Um, and find your people and find your community and be courageous and brave enough to be yourself and to say what you believe and to set boundaries where boundaries need to be set. 
Um, I wrote something at one point where I said, find what it is you love and the people you love will be there too. Um, I think we have such a fear of saying who we really are and living the life we want to lead because we are afraid of being rejected. And in fact, the exact opposite thing happens (laughs) through that vulnerability and our willingness to jump off of the cliff and say who it is we are and what it is we believe. That is the method to find your tribe. And I see that occurring uh, so frequently in this community through this podcast. Um, This podcast in fact, was the way that I found my tribe. (laughs) I didn't have any friends after getting divorced and leaving my entire life and going through a dark night of the soul. And I thought, well, I can't seem to find the community I'm looking for. So maybe I need to pick up a microphone and talk about myself and my beliefs and what I want to see in the world. And maybe my people will find me. And you all did. And um, you continue to. And it's really the sort of motivating factor that keeps me going is continuing to uh, say uncomfortable shit sometimes because um, I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So all that to say, life don't last that long. Um, Take advantage of it while you can. Don't be afraid. Don't think that uh, taking a risk or being courage being courageous is the opposite is uh, the opposite of having fear or that courage exists without fear quite the opposite you have to move through the fear that's part of the courage that is the courage in fact and um, yes thank you thank you all for being here as always and I will catch you on the other end California I had a friend out there My scarlet begonia Hollywood affair I got caught up in the big way Riding that big But my heart was beating different I knew it wasn't you
my dear friend Jenny once again. Um, Very glad to be back. (laughs) Very glad to have you. I love that like on my podcast I just get to feature all of my like fellow apprentices uh, and like not ever really even reach out to other astrologers. I mean I have had other astrologers but I love talking to you guys. Um, So today we are going to chat a bit about the astrological significance of generations. Um, I touched on this topic when the podcast was in its infancy on episode five, uh, and it was specifically about the astrological significance of the millennial generation. Um, but I wanted to have my dear Pluto Libra come on the show, um, and expand upon that because I have listeners, uh, who exist in many more generations than just millennials. I'll, you know, although the podcast is, is called the millennials guide to saving the world. I have, People who are uh, in the baby boomer generation and certainly people who are in uh, Gen X. Is that what it is below me? I don't know. Yeah, Gen that's Z. we are. Or, yeah, okay. You're Gen X and then even Pluto is Gen... below me. Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to touch um, more on all of these things and sort of talk about the significance of all of those generations and then really also how we kind of relate to each other and how we sort of exist in this interesting chronology. So um, why don't we first talk about what the heck we're talking about when we talk mm-hmm. about uh, the astrological significance of generation? So how do we see that reflected in a chart? So generally, we're looking at the outer planets, Pluto, Neptune, Uranus, um, and perhaps Saturn. But generally today, I think we're going to talk about Pluto as a marker of generations. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I found this to be super fascinating. I feel like it was like a huge inspiration for my podcast to recognize like a lot of people don't know why we define certain generations within the period of time that we do. Like, what is it about that group of people that we're putting into a group Um, And what I discovered was that Pluto, 
the cycle of Pluto throughout the signs seems to exist pretty perfectly uh, in alignment with what obviously were considered to be generations. Like we're not cons- no, the person who's defining a generation is not considering astrology, and yet there is this um, sort of definitive link between those sections and the transit mm-hmm. of Pluto. Um, mm-hmm. So should we talk a little bit about the orbit of Pluto and um, what Pluto, what Pluto is all about, and what this has to do with large groups of people? Sure. So <clears throat> Pluto has about a 250-year uh, synodic cycle, which is the length of time that it takes from when um, for Pluto to make one revolution through the entire zodiac. And um, it's highly elliptical, which means it creates an uneven pattern as it transits through the different signs of the zodiac. And so one of the confusing or um, yeah, uneven aspects of Pluto through the zodiac is that between the signs of Pisces and Cancer, it is in a sign for something like 25 to 30 years. And then from Leo to uh, Aquarius, it's anywhere from 20-ish to 12 years. So it can create an uneven slice of the uh, zodiac pie. And so I think for the purposes of our conversation, there aren't really too many people alive that I'm aware of um, that have um, Pluto in a sign before cancer. Right. Or as it is now in Capricorn, (laughs) after Capricorn. Right. Or after Capricorn, correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So unlike um, many of the other planets with much smaller uh, synodic cycles, Venus, Mars, the Sun, Moon, Mercury, et cetera, et cetera, uh, this planet, Pluto, stays in a sign for quite some time. And so when we look at our chart, um, there's a lot of personal planets that really can sort of speak to our own individual um, psychology. But when we look at Pluto, yes, it's an aspect to other personal planets in our chart, but really it's, it's defined by um, a generation. Um, so yeah, why don't we talk about Pluto, mm-hmm. uh, the archetype of Pluto and its significance, and then maybe also bring in some of the sort of um, uh, evolutionary astrology into this as well, because I think that's relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can let me know if you agree with these keywords, but <clears throat> for me, Pluto represents death, uh, first and foremost, because Pluto was the God of the underworld and, um, Pluto in Latin means wealth or riches. And that's because, you know, um, metals and gems and sources of wealth in ancient times came from under the earth or the underworld realm. In Greek, we call Pluto Hades, which means what is unseen or the invisible. So I think that you can see both the Roman and the Greek versions of this underworld god in the archetypal significations of Pluto. So I think my main keywords are death, the unconscious, power and powerlessness, and desire. Um, That Pluto basically represents the shadow contents of our psyches. Yeah. 
And then would you also bring in this idea of birth in some respect that like there's a resurrection of sorts or like the the transformation that can occur in these underworld spaces? Do you include that in your... Absolutely. I mean, yeah. when I give readings, I delineate Pluto as the planet that teaches us our most transformative lessons. Mm. Um, and in, in ancient myth, uh, in the he- different hero cycles, Hercules, uh, Odysseus, the heroes needed to travel to the underworld, that it was sort of a key turning point in their stories of um, returning to the light. Uh, so there is definitely a way that um, working to alchemize, if you like that word, or change or transmute our shadow or our Pluto lessons brings us into a new sense of self, a sense of wholeness, and a rebirth. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so how do we, or how would you consider that uh, when it comes to a generation? Um, Well, I think we're going to talk a lot today about the collective shadow significations of generations. Um, And the more that we all become conscious of our individual unconscious contents, the more it has a ripple or cumulative effect on how a generation views themselves. And part of my own frustration or anger is about how the Pluto and Leo or the boomer generation hasn't done enough shadow work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so why don't we take this opportunity uh, as a segue to sort of briefly... um, talk about what some of the major archetypal themes are of these generations, um, starting with Pluto, Pluto Leo, which are the baby mm-hmm. boomers, and then moving through to Pluto Sages. Um, and again, yeah. you know, these, archety- <clears throat> these archetypes are super complex. So like <laughs> we're talking relatively broadly. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, before we do that, why don't we yeah. mention the um, evolutionary astrology paradigm? Okay, and yeah. And how it views views the journey through different signs. Let's do it. <clears throat> so um, the main astrological paradigm that's been, or way of technique or practice of astrology that was dominant, especially among the baby boomer generation, is called evolutionary astrology. And this uh, method was popularized by a guy named Jeffrey Wolf Green, and you can check out his books about Pluto. Uh, The first one came out in 1977, and he came up with this way of thinking about Pluto um, after he had a dream where the uh, yoga guru, Sri Yukteswar, who is part of my line of gurus, came to him in a dream and told him that Pluto represents the soul and its quote-unquote evolutionary intent throughout lifetimes and in this lifetime. So, and these are the words of another evolutionary astrologer, Ari Moshe Wolf, who says, the basic premise of this astrological paradigm is based on the understanding that each and every incarnation, each lifetime, is created as a result of the unresolved desires within the soul from the previous lives. And the evolutionary journey of the soul from life to life 
is a matter of gradually exhausting all desires until the only desire that remains is the desire to reunite with Source. <clears throat> In this premise, which has become super popular, it's almost like an unconscious or it's a set of givens um, yeah. when you learn astrology these days. This premise comes from the yogic teachings that the whole reason we incarnate is that we're drawn back to the earthly realm because of unfulfilled desires or physical, carnal, emotional desires. Mm -hmm. So the way that this method looks at astrology is that Pluto by house sign and aspects indicates the kind of past desires of the soul that have propelled one into, you know, continually incarnating. Mm -hmm. And what I love that Ari Moshe Wolf says is that all desires imply a duality something that I am not yet, that I do not have yet. Um, and so that is, I think, a really important thing to think of because Pluto, especially in the method of uh, evolutionary astrology, ha uh, talks about fulfilling desires through the opposite sign of wherever your Pluto um, placement is. And that there's a polarity or a balancing, a lesson that is learned through the other sign of the zodiac. Right. So I think in practice now, evolutionary astrology can be a little bit problematic for young people. Like, what do you mean my soul's evolving? It can bring up kind of like spiritual or social Darwinism, you know, and, and how can an astrologer even say what your soul is evolving through? Yeah. Um, but still, I think it's important for the way that it conceives of desire as uh, an attraction that brings you into to change, mm -hmm. you know, to changing yourself and transforming. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too to um, you and I both have pretty strong Mars placements, um, and traditionally uh, Mars is the ruler of Scorpio, but in modern astrology, Pluto rules Scorpio. And I think there's mm -hmm. a, a sort of correlation between these two planets, Pluto and Mars. Um, and yeah, certainly this sort of evolutionary pull forward, um, that I think we can see within everybody, within generations across the globe. Um, like what is this thing that's moving us forward? What is this urge, this desire, mm -hmm. this sort of like creative pull um, yeah. And of course, we can take that urge and act upon it in unconscious, um, detrimental ways um, or not. But regardless, there is undoubtedly this sort of like movement of humanity and of our species that's undeniable. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So let's talk about some of these generations and what they're kind of pull and um, sort of karmic underpinning might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to start? Um, let's start with, let's start with uh, Pluto Leos. Okay. Um, so and I maybe think in, you might do yeah, this, but also let's like talk about what generation in non-astrological speak we're talking about. So people know <laughs> what they are if they've never seen their chart. Yeah, so the Pluto in Leo generation are the boomers, um, roughly born um, around 1945-ish, 
I think Pluto entered Leo in 1944 um, to around 1957 was when Pluto entered Virgo. Mm. Um, Though I think uh, demographers would say the baby boomer generation ends sometime in the early 60s, 63, 64. Um, So, you know, they're the people for whom the Pluto in cancer generation set up the suburbs and, um, you know, the nuclear family and uh, the sort of sense of, I have everything I need if I just have my family, which was the Pluto and cancer <clears throat> obsession that translated into raising a generation that was like all about them as children, as people. Um, and, you know, Leo is where the sun, um, the sun thrives. So Leo is all about expressing oneself, expressing from the heart. I think of it as a really heart-centered sign, mm-hmm. but um, of course that can translate, move from the heart into the ego <laughs> quickly. <laughs> we don't have a really great way of um, acting in, in, in um, compassionate uh, and heart-centered ways in our culture. Mm. And so for me, the, the Pluto and Leo generation, it's like everything was about them, what they needed for their lives, for their, uh, what they want, what their desires were. And, um, the whole economy and system of the way that we educate, raise children was set up for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so We've been living in their shadow. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm getting off on my own tangents for <laughs> for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're the me generation. They're uh, the generation that brought us the hippie movement, which right. you know had a, some really great things about it. Um, but I think fundamentally, they're still running the show culturally. Yep. Yeah, there was like quite a bit of individualism, I feel like, that you can see throughout all of this, even in the hippie movement. It was just like, it's all about me and whatever I want, and like, look at me, and I'm going to do this showy thing. And um, yeah, there's also the the piece about, after that, the sort of like laissez-faire economics as well, this like idea of individualism and Mm-hmm. Um, owning land as an individual instead of having public land. So it was, I think, very concerned with me and what I want and what I have. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think that is sort of running the greater like economic and political structure of where we are now. Yeah, and just so many of us, our families, the way we were raised, we were raised with boomer parents. Yeah. And um, and a preview of how I feel is like I often talk about how when I get the, the most frustrated and angry, I feel like my life was was sort of a ballast for their desires. It's like sometimes I feel like I mean, I know my parents are, truly love me and are wonderful, but it's like I feel like sometimes I was created just for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I have one boomer parent, so one Pluto and Leo, Leo parent, and one Pluto Virgo parent. Um, 
And of course, like they each have their own individual psychological makeup that's very complex. But I feel like I can tell the difference um, mm-hmm. between that sort of greater, yeah, archetypal structure within which they were born. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Pluto Virgos. <laughs> Pluto Virgos were roughly 1957 to 1970. And when I started thinking about Pluto Virgo, so Virgo is an earth sign. It's associated with, um, with health, with, um, with natural products from the earth, you might say. <laughs> Virgo is the sign of the harvest. And so for me, it's always, I often think about Virgo as the sign where we're gleaning what's left of the um, harvest season that began when the sun was in maybe Gemini or Cancer. And so there's a way that Virgo is continually trying to take one, Virgo is a mutable sign, so take one thing and transform it into another. Um, So Pluto in Virgo was a time when we saw the rise of pesticides and like truly large-scale agriculture. Um, Virgo is a sign that creates systems because if you've got a lot of discrete pieces or parts or data, you need a system or a process for managing them. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was didn't really think about until now was Pluto and Virgo was when we started like housing people and housing projects. Mm. And you know, developing these developing these large scale um, healthcare and housing systems. Yeah. Um, and also uh, dieting, like Pluto is associated with, or not Pluto, Virgo is associated with perfectionism. Right. You know, and so like, I think of in the early fifties, it was considered healthy and sexy to be plump. And like, you know, that you had enough food to eat. You'd just come out of World War II. Right. And then by the early 60s, it's like, no, everybody needs to be thin, twiggy, you know, and like diet pills and like sort of put us on this track towards perfectionism with our bodies and ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I get that sense too. I feel like like workaholism sort of became (laughs) a thing in this Mm -hmm. generation. And I... I wonder, too, if there was something, you know, being raised by either Pluto Leos or Pluto Cancers. I feel like with a lot of the Pluto Virgos, I know that there was this sort of overarching, like, I'll never be good enough. I need to be good enough. I need to work harder. It was just like this consistent (laughs) lack. Um, And yeah, I think it's when, like, our culture became completely unrealistic as it relates to like work-life balance and that involved Mm -hmm. not just like work itself, obviously, but um, like you said, health and perfectionism across the board that like there was this, some sort of bar that needed to be lived up to. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, maybe that was partially also like there was such a degree of, this idea in the fifties of like, everything is perfect. <laughs> like America right. is perfect. Right. Um, which is of course, I think that was, com- uh, I mean, I hate using myth in this fashion, but it was untrue. Like it was, 
that was never really the case, but that was certainly mm-hmm. what was proposed um, or what was advertised. And uh, I think in this generation, it became very clear that like, you know, to live up to that standard is an impossibility and created this um, sort of fierce um, lack <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, feeling of not being good enough or needing to work harder in order to be good enough. Yeah. Another thing about Pluto and Virgo is that's when there was the sexual revolution and birth control mm. became freely available. Um, and it was also because that generation was still living in the shadow of Pluto and Cancer. It was a time when there was such widespread adoption, you know, mm. like, uh, right. you know, so many different um, ways um, of not ways, but there were all these different organizations and systems for giving up babies. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very like, obviously, because, you know, we're talking about when we talk about Virgo, we're sort of talking about the uh, Virgo Pisces axis as a whole. Like there was definitely like mm-hmm. a do gooder martyr. <laughs> yeah. Overlay for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, Okay, so how about Pluto Libras? So Pluto Libra is roughly 1970 to 1984. And my key word or words for Libra is harmony through conflict. That Libra's um, symbol is the scales. And in Libra, we are learning to be in relationship with others as and to also be individuals at the same time, Aries. Mm-hmm. Um, so other keywords for Libra are justice, equality, harmony, beauty. Um, and Libra is ruled by Venus. So, um, and it's really, for me, Venus in its relational context. Yeah. So Libra is all about relationship. Um, and... I think some of the interesting things about Pluto in Libra that I've been thinking about recently are um, this is the time when punk rock came became a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think of Libra as like perfect beauty or harmony. But, you know, punk rock was basically like, screw all that. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, punk rock, heavy metal, these like really dark forms of art. Um, and for me as a Pluto, so I'm completely biased as a Pluto Libra generation person, as I said, we were the, um, latchkey generation. So, um, our, we were given, we were parentified children. We were given so much responsibility for raising ourselves when we were young because our parents were out living their dreams, working really hard, Pluto and Virgo, and getting everything that they wanted, you know, to take care of us, to be fair. Yeah. Pluto and Leo. But, but that left us alone a lot. Um, you know, I mean, the things that happened to me were unthinkable for your generation. Uh, and I think that in my generation, we were the children who were, you know, like originally abducted. Like, there was a lot of um, violence done to children. 
in my generation that then gave rise to this overprotective sort of helicopter parenting in your generation. Um, Because you could say it was freedom, but but we really, you know, had some very misaligned attachment patterns (laughs) with our parents, which is Pluto and Libra. And that's what, as we grew older, we've been trying to fix. Um, In the blog post that I wrote on my site about Pluto and Libra, one of the things I realized is we're the generation that created, quote unquote, attachment pattern parenting to try to bring a sense of secure attachment for our children because we didn't have that. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think there's a, I mean, I think I can see this in significations in the chart, even outside of Pluto, but those who were raised um, either by Pluto Leos or with parents with just strong Leo signatures, that they often have strong Libra signatures. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we when we talk about all of this stuff with Libra, with harmony and peace and relational balance, that comes with codependency. <laughs> um, yeah. Because what does one need to do in order to achieve that balance? Um, and oftentimes when we're dealing with a parent or a human with, you know, generally like narcissistic tendencies, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of self-sacrifice and maneuvering, I think, um, that needs to be done in order to like get love or attention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, have you, what do you, I also think this generation, I'm curious if you've thought about this too, as it relates to like unconventional relationship structures as well. I think this is the generation that at least later in life, um, I think Pluto Scorpios like get credit for it to some extent, but I actually think it was the generation prior that like started it in less of a flashy way <laughs> than we did um, prior yeah, to Yeah, you might be media. right about that. Yeah. I mean... It's hard for me to say because among the people I grew up with, my peers, um, and maybe it's just me, I, I feel that we were really um, influenced by by our parents' uh, monogamy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of us were the product of divorced parents. And so I think a lot about how we all got married in our thirties and like, there is a real need to be married. Right. So I I haven't really experienced that, but I think you probably are right. Yeah. Well, I imagine it could go in either direction, right? If there's this sort of like, you know, um, bar set around relationships and marriage that like one could, um, uh, reject that and (laughs) be like, I'm going to do it different or like, I need to create that as well. Um, but yeah, I feel like I've seen that go in both, both directions for sure. Um, yeah, there's, I, I feel like your generation, and again, I think this is sort of like, it's like your generation, I feel like is sometimes forgotten in a way. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Cause we could just like fix ourselves a hot dog at age, you know, seven and be quiet. And right. that's what we needed to do. Right. I mean, I started babysitting for infants when I was 11. I had my own job taking care of all the neighborhood babies and kids so that their parents could go to um, aerobics classes and things like that. So 
I know how to be really invisible in order to survive. Right. Right. And like, honestly, becoming the parent when you're still the child in a way right. um, that like the balance has got to be kept somehow. And like me and my Libra-ness are going to figure that shit out, you know, Exactly. because I need to be calm and serene. And this is insane. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So moving on to Pluto Scorpios. So Pluto Scorpio is, you might need to correct me, 1984 to like 1997? Uh, yeah, maybe. I thought it was maybe slightly before that. I sort of generally think of it as like mid-80s to mid-90s, um, but I could be wrong. Yeah, okay. No, it is 1984 to 1995. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Pluto and Scorpio. Scorpio is a Mars-ruled water sign. It's a fixed sign. And I some key words for Scorpio are um, emotional depths, <laughs> grief especially, um, and um, I don't know, would you say sex is a Scorpio word? Yeah, but I I always will specify like relative because I think Aries to me has a lot to do with sex too. But I think Aries is more the like physical act of sex and Scorpio Mm. is more the like emotional merging part of sex, Mm -hmm. like the psychological side. But yes, I would. Yeah, I also think Scorpio is the sign that understands the process of life death and rebirth more than other signs. Hmm. And you see people with strong Scorpio placements who exert a catalyzing or transforming energy around others. A lot of therapists or even um, investigative journalists, photographers, people who can penetrate into the depths of what is really motivating uh, others. Comedians too Mm -hmm. is another realm in which that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, how would you describe the Pluto and Scorpio generation? <laughs> Are you giving me the mic? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think, like, there's no doubt uh, that I think we are the generation that sort of popular li- popularized, like, self-exploration and therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we have a intense hunger to understand what's below the surface. Um, and I sort of wrote, you know, if we think about our childhoods, um, a lot of us were born at the height of the AIDS crisis. Uh, and so there was this sort of bizarre, you know, tragedy, um, and, that sort of related to sex in a way that at first was really misunderstood and death, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also, uh, silence, you know, and, and, and taboo, uh, which I think is a very scorpionic theme as well. Um, things Mm -hmm. that we can't discuss or don't want to discuss or are not appropriate to discuss. Um, and then we were the first generation to, uh, grow up with, the reality of school shootings. <laughs> like, okay, right. I can go to school and be killed by my classmate. Great. Um, and, um, 
the internet. Uh, I think different from mm-hmm. Pluto Sages, who grew up with the internet, we remember what it was like when the internet did not exist. Um, and yet it was sort of created as when we were young too. Um, but I think like internet porn is another very scorpionic theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then going on, uh, I think nine 11 also was something that happened when we were quite young. So I was, I was listening to a talk yesterday and, you know, that in previous generations, sometimes there was this idea of like, things are bad, but like they get better, you know, like there are wars, but like, then we rebound. And I Mm -hmm. feel like my experience of the world growing up, and I think this is shared throughout my generation is like, no, things don't really get better. (laughs) Like things are Mm -hmm. fucked and get progressively more fucked. Um, and, and yeah, I think there was a degree of like, um, And again, I think this exists in all generations, but this sort of like great lie that I think started within the Pluto Leo generation of, you know, Mm -hmm. capitalism and of the nuclear family and all of these things that were so ingrained as like the epitome of perfection and normalcy. And I think by our generation, like that that just got broken down and exposed so much that we couldn't help but question it and I think within that questioning came the therapy and you know even like the concept of trauma uh as more Mm -hmm. than like a car accident or something Mm -hmm. um so yeah and I I also think it's interesting like back in 2018 when Jupiter moved through Scorpio um, a lot of us at this point were in our twenties or early thirties. And I feel like this is when, like, it's, this is what happened for me that like astrology came back into like immense popularity, uh, especially mm-hmm. with young people and like everyone became witchy and like mm-hmm. the whole like, uh, social media therapy shit really started at that point. Um, so how this planet of that sort of makes everything bigger and exposes things for us I think like hit our Plutos and we were like Mm -hmm. hardcore (laughs) Pluto Scorpio adults um yeah you needed a way to make sense of things and to cope yeah Mm -hmm. do you have anything else to add to that um I think Pluto in Scorpio sensitizes you to to the shadow side of yeah. our existence and reality. Uh, I don't know if you would agree, but like I feel like there's an inner knowing which is why you all need uh, need to to find yourselves through therapy or need to discuss trauma. You know, need to explore those things because you can't ignore that part of the psyche. Right. It, it, otherwise, it will control you. So, so talking about it as a generation is really a bit of service for the rest of us. Right. Right. And I think it's what sort of inspired, um, I don't know if it's still in the introduction of my podcast or was in the first one that I recorded, but something about our generation, like, 
that our goal, I think, different from Pluto's Sages, which we'll get to, that our goal is is less about finding solutions or the optimism or the hope or potentiality mm-hmm. of changing the world and more about doing like the deep grief processing and just the reality check of like we are likely not going to be alive to see any sort of change um Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know if any generation will be but i feel like there's a recognition of our generation that um we likely won't be and that the problems are so complex and so broad um that the only thing we can do is like find meaning and purpose in the tragedy i guess Mm -hmm. um yeah and i mean would you say that your generation is processing collective grief for sure yeah i think that's absolutely what's happening and i think like because i think in it when you go through a personal um process of self-awareness or grieving that i think what um inevitably happens is that that grief becomes connected to the collective and connected to the earth itself um Mm -hmm. i think there's a you know this um you know and also thinking about the the taurus opposition um Mm -hmm. to this sign (laughs) what are we doing um in order to balance this energy like we're going back to nature we're trying to save the planet um because Mm -hmm. that feels like a refuge in a way from you know if you ever talk to anyone with like a not just Pluto, but any sort of strong Scorpio placement, the sort of antidote to that, you know, delving into the depths of the human psyche is like, why don't you go for a walk in nature and, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. like ground yourself? Um, so Have I, a luxurious I th- meal. Yes, exactly. Um, so I think we're, we're turning to those things um, one, because of it's one, because it's part of the grief that we're processing, but two, because like, that's where one has to go in order to not lose their minds in mm-hmm. the Scorpionic realm, which is a place one could absolutely lose their mind. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. How about Pluto Sages? Okay, so Pluto Sages are um, roughly 1995 to 2008. And um, some keywords for Sagittarius for me are the search for meaning and a holistic truth. So if we um, contrast Sagittarius with Gemini, Gemini exists in an infinite field of possibilities. Sagittarius is like, there is one truth and the whole truth and I'm going to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. And in going through that search, there can often be a crisis of faith and belief. Um, So like for me, Sagittarius is the sign of like the priest or the preacher in a way. Um, There are people that I, admire who have really strong Sagittarius placements and like when they give a lecture I say they're getting on the pulpit like our astrologer friend Mark Jones I go to his lectures to see Mark Jones get on the pulpit 
he has a sad rising chart, I think. Yeah. Um, so fundamentalism, you know, can really be the shadow side of Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I often actually see, you know, I feel like narcissistic process is often associated with Leo and I can see that, but I actually think there's quite a bit of that that exists within Sag as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of the sort of like pretty fucked up guru (laughs) charts Mm -hmm. I've looked at are so much Sag. Um, and this kind of like know it all energy and demeanor. And they're Mm -hmm. so good. They're so good at, being on the pulpit, right? Like you just yeah. so like you want to go follow them and watch them and be in their presence because there is this mm-hmm. sort of um like wow that person is so wise even if they're not. They're like very good at acting that way. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. which is confusing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, one really interesting fact that I remember um reading about was that those who fought like the main figureheads in the American revolution were Mm. mostly of the Pluto Sag generation. The last one. (laughs) Right. It makes total sense. Totally. Um, and America, uh, is coming onto its first Pluto return. So it's been about 250 years since the American revolution. Um, and (laughs) I think we can absolutely see the whispers and the um, so many things leading up to, I think, what America is and will be going through as it relates to its own sort of like rebirth and redefinition and crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was I mean, you th- I think we think about, you know, those who are like at the head of you know, revolutions are leading governments as much older, but at the time of the American revolution, like (laughs) Hamilton and all of those figures were, they were so young. Um, Mm -hmm. and in their like late teens and early twenties. And again, this sort of speaks to this like wise, um, you know, ability to, uh, proselytize and come up with these sort of insane, not insane in a bad way, but like, um, yeah, new and inventive ideas, I guess. Yeah. And that's the Gemini Sagittarius polarity. Like Gemini takes the new and inventive ideas and Sagittarius makes it a fundamentalism. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking about the same thing too, in terms of when Pluto was in Gemini, because that was the time, um, for example, of the Russian revolution. Um, and I've been researching some of my ancestors who were a part of that revolution. And like, there were so many different ideas about how the, um, peasant or proletariat revolution should be achieved. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like so many different flavors of Marxism, let's say, um, which is Gemini, but then that had to turn into a Sagittarius fundamentalism in, in order for it to be achieved in the the large scale of people who die because of our need uh, to project truth onto the world. Totally. Um, Yeah. It brings me to this point that I make when I teach about the signs, which are inherently chronological 
in so many different ways. Um, but as far as psychological chronology, you know, let's say, what does one do? Uh, Scorpio being the sign that occurs before a Sag. Like, what does one do uh, in reaction to a dark night of the soul, let's say? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like either on the shadow side, you escape. Um, I feel like there's a, a tendency for those who have strong Sag placements to, like, oh my god, there's a tragedy and it's really horrible. I'm going to move across the country and like do mm -hmm. this sort of like grand gesture of adventure and, and you know, escapism in a way because yeah. it's too much to handle. And so we have to like run away into the sunset. Um, or uh, what I think is the more sort of healthy, mature expression is that we find meaning and purpose mm -hmm. and that that dark night inspires us to learn and um to come up with these theories as to why something like that would take place uh and so i you know i don't know what's going to happen as far as the pluto sag generation but i do think there's a risk of that escapism um or these fundamentalist ideas of like, oh, it's just like, we just need like regenerative agriculture and like that'll solve everything, you know? These mm -hmm. sort of oversimplified, flashy ideas of what might be able to solve something or fix something um, without much basis in reality. Yeah, and the escapism is really searching for the next thing. It's like you can, in Sagittarius, you can continually go on the quest for the Holy Grail. Right. As a coping yeah. mechanism. Right. Totally. Um, so I feel like we talked about this a little bit, but I, I, before we started recording, we were speaking about this, each Pluto sign, you know, dealing with the sort of unfinished business um, I forget how you worded it of the of the previous sign, um, mm -hmm. and maybe we can sort of walk through that a little bit because I think it's helpful um, generationally for sure. But to see how like Virgo is a response to Leo and Libra is a response to Virgo, um, mm -hmm. do you want to walk through that a little bit? Sure. So this was an idea to give credit to um, the astrologer Giulio Pellegrini. Um, he has a great lecture that he gave for the Northwest Astrological Conference about this very topic and the effect of different Pluto generations on the one that came after it and how you can see that in cultural output and production, so creative output. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Um, so yeah, I mean, Pluto in Leo was, of course, responding to the values of their parents who were Pluto in Cancer, you know, which is um, sort of family values or um, responding to the need to conform to what the family demanded or needed. Um, and whereas in Leo, it was like, screw that. I just need to live, you know. Um, and do you want to have, do you have anything more you want to say about that? Um, no, I think that's, that's pretty much what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pluto in Virgo, you know, responding to, to the, 
self-centeredness, you might say, of Pluto and Leo is what we talked about in terms of managing, perfecting, creating, um, creating regimes for how to perfect the self, I think is the word I might use. Um, and And also, yeah, I would say like this, because I think about this in my own chart as a Leo sun and a Virgo south node, um, that there's this desire to like correct for the egocentric nature. Yeah. That's Um, that Virgo can often be associated with more of a selfless service. Right. Which can go too far because I think Mm -hmm. actually like selflessness is a version of narcissism in and of itself, but this deep self deprecation, um, Mm -hmm. like I can't possibly be the center of attention or, I can't possibly, you know, um, I'm not worth much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the points that Julio makes about the Pluto and Virgo generation is that they were influenced by Pluto and Leo, and among the many pop stars of the 80s, um, you know, Prince and Madonna and... Um, it was the era of the like arena giant rock star, mm. which is very much a Pluto and Leo phenomenon, but really came to be in Pluto and Virgo and Pluto and Libra time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to look up this song. Um, do we know when George Michael was born? <laughs> uh, You're I talking like... to one of the biggest George Michael Are, fans on the okay. planet. So how, um, what generation is he from? Now I have to look it up, though. Uh, So George Michael is the um, Pluto in Virgo generation. Okay. And he has a song, Star People, which I'm sure you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is all about this, like about fame Mm -hmm. and um, like maybe you're like weren't loved enough. And so you need to overcompensate by being a star. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like maybe it your is. mama didn't love you enough. Yeah. Maybe your daddy didn't love you enough, girl. Maybe mm-hmm. your mama gave you up, exactly. boy. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. There we go. I'm so glad we got George Michael in. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's so like relevant star people too it's kind of astrological (laughs) exactly yeah um so then in libra i mean honestly we were living up to those um standards of perfection and control in in our and we turned it on ourselves like the problem must be with us and what we're doing and we needed to maintain a balance in relationship by by controlling ourselves. Um, I think that's the that's the essence of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, of course, you brought up the AIDS crisis. I mean, the AIDS crisis really got going during the time that Pluto was in Libra uh, and it was affecting Pluto and Virgo 
individuals um, on a very large scale. Yeah. And then what about Scorpio as a response to Libra? Well, I mean, honestly, based on what we've already talked about, thank God for you guys, because you give those of us in the Pluto and Libra generation permission to grieve Hmm. what we didn't have. So, you know, there's a, I think Pluto and Scorpio bears the emotional brunt of all of the repression of um, emotion and the self and, um, and the attachment wounds that happened in Pluto and Libra. Mm. Um, I mean, when Pluto was in Scorpio, I was a teenager and it's a little bit hard for me to speak objectively because I have a Scorpio moon. So Pluto would have been transiting my moon and my North node, but it was a really dark time. I mean, we wrote a lot of really angsty poetry and listened (laughs) to a lot of like, emotional grunge rock you know we were pretty down in the depths at that time yeah yeah I feel sometimes like again all of our experience is like so subjective um but when I think back of the Pluto's Scorpio years it's like shit (laughs) like that was not a fun time um yeah. yeah, and what's ironic is that we look back on that now. I mean, the children who are in the Pluto Capricorn generation, I mean, there's no question it was better for you guys in some way. Totally. You know? Right. Yeah, I want to talk about, I mean, we, I think we did speak about the sort of reaction of um, Sag to Scorpio mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. Uh but I also would love to maybe end our conversation speaking a bit about Pluto and Capricorn, um, mm-hmm. both it being in Capricorn. And also I would imagine that there's some people listening to the show who have Pluto cap children. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what Capricorn is about and um, how we're sort of seeing that. And of course, you know, we don't know yet necessarily how, I mean, many of these generations, even Pluto Sages, we don't necessarily know like how these themes are going to carry on into adulthood, but we can certainly at least talk about what's happening now and what's been happening Mm -hmm. since Pluto's been in Cap. Yeah. So I think one way to think about Capricorn is, is the opposite of cancer. If cancer is about uh, the nuclear family raising children, creating a home and a family that's yours. Capricorn is about the outside world and what are the foundations, systems, and structures that create society. Mm. Um, Capricorn is an earth sign. For me, it's associated with like foundations in terms of like a rock is a foundation for a home. <laughs> or, um, you know, what what are the foundational structures and ideas that we build our world upon. Mm-hmm. Um, Capricorn also has a very spiritual and esoteric signification that is not always discussed in astrology. Uh, for me, Capricorn, the sign and the symbol goes back to uh, the Babylonian or Sumerian gods of um, of the waters or of creation. And 
in the 20th century, a lot of astrologers associated Capricorn with um, the sign, the time when Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. Because Capricorn is the time when we have the um, uh, winter solstice, and the sun is like the farthest away or in the depths not visible, the days are the shortest, the light is is the lowest. Mm -hmm. And so from that moment, you know, then in in terms of the story of the birth of Christ, we have a return of the light with the um, birth of Christ and with the the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. And so you could also ascribe the signification of rebirth to Capricorn, I think at its deepest level, um, but we don't always think about that. And you know, some people talk about Capricorn as like an, a sign of initiation where we mm-hmm. kind of become, we learn about the mysteries of rebirth in Capricorn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a big question for me is like, is that happening now? You know, especially <laughs> right. in the U.S. Like, yeah. Uh, if we look at it through the Sagittarian lens, like, is there a rebirth happening through the destruction that's going on? Right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I also talk about this. Um, I talk about the myth of Enki in my uh, lunar circle, um, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, the Sumerian god of water basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think this is also representative in the sort of more modern day symbol of Capricorn, which is the sea goat. So we're literally talking about this like merging of water and earth and the, the sort of womb space that gives birth to structure. Um, and yeah, that that's, you know, I mean, definitely about birth and um, yeah, intensely spiritual in a way that people also forget. I think it's so unfortunate. Like a lot of people with strong Capricorn signatures hear so much about like, you're the CEO or like, this is, right. you know, that you're like the top of the company. Um, when in fact, I think we need to like deconstruct that and see the sea goat as this kind of like one who does not fit into the world in a way, um, mm. this sort of like unique specimen um that has to chart his or her own course because like where does the sea goat belong mm-hmm. um and i i got a lot of my capricorn people like people who are close to me who have a lot of capricorn are are weirdos a lot of the time they're not like the ceo yeah. of the company um no and capricorn i mean in practice and Capricorn placements, you often see a lot of withdrawal um, in people with strong Capricorn. Like, they need to be alone. They need to figure things out on their own. It's really hard um, relationally for them to know where they fit in. Right. Right. And I think this idea of, like, the CEO or, like, the person who is super money-hungry or power-hungry, like, that's just the shadow expression of this sign that's not the healthy expression or the full expression by a long shot um Mm -hmm. yeah i i think it's interesting too there's a a signature in um 
in my generation too, where we, a lot of us have Neptune and Uranus conjunct um, in Cap. Um, mine is a little bit different. I have Uranus. It went retrograde into Sag. Um, and I have Uranus and Sag as well. So I have a, uh, uh, or uh, yeah, I have Saturn and Sag rather. So I have a Saturn Uranus mm-hmm. conjunction and Neptune and in, uh, Cap. But yeah, this, I think from my generation through Pluto Sages and then certainly into Pluto Caps that there's undoubtedly a lot of both fantasy or like utopian possibility, um, moving into this more, this question of like, what does it take or what would it take to actually, um, change the system and the structure? Yeah. Um, and again, like going back to the American revolution, like, again, this was when Pluto was in late Capricorn. Um, Mm -hmm. and what did it take at least in America the last time to really upend that kind of a structure and a system? Um, and I think there's some naivete, uh, which is not the Pluto and Cap's fault because I don't think they're old enough. I think it's maybe Pluto and Sag's fault, um, that Mm -hmm. we we will be able to achieve, um, this transition or this reimagining in ways that avoid total collapse. And Mm -hmm. I'm not so confident in that. Um, and yeah, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen, but certainly those who are, have been born while, Pluto was in Capricorn have been, you know, we pick up a lot in our, in our infancy, um, and our childhood and, um, all they've known is, you know, structural inconsistencies and, um, Mm -hmm. fragility, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you think about, okay, if the U S was founded with Pluto and late Capricorn, what enabled the structure of the United States to be created? You know, it was genocide of the Native Americans. Right. It was a um, capital system that was based on the exploitation of African people and a global network of slaves and trade. Yeah. And over that, we laid a Pluto and Sagittarius idealism. Totally. And so now, with Pluto and Capricorn, we might not achieve a new structure, but we are trying to undo the genocidal, patriarchal, colonial, capitalist uh, foundations of our society. And it's probably unrealistic to think it's going to (laughs) happen right now. But at the same time, it's the Pluto in Sag generation that is carrying the torch for that dismantling of um, the oppressive systems yeah. that our, let's just speak to our country, that our country yeah. is founded on. Right. Right. And I think in, you know, in speaking about cycles as a whole and planetary returns as a whole, I always talk about them as ripples on a theme. So it's mm-hmm. not like the same thing's going to happen that happened before. And it's also not like, we're going to necessarily solve or correct or fix the thing that happened before, but that whatever is going on, whatever happens, especially when Pluto 
returns to that spot, which is like quite soon. I think it's February mm-hmm. 20, 22. Uh, 22 is yeah. the first time it hits that um, exact point. Um, yeah. How will we address that? What will the ripple be? And will it, you know, um, will it make it stronger, right? Like, will we just reinforce these things? Because that's a possibility too, right? We don't necessarily, it doesn't mean we will undo anything. It could mean we, you know, um, descend Mm -hmm. into some sort of like fascist regime or something. Um, yeah, it, it, it sort of, uh, I saw this graphic recently, and this is something I talk about quite a bit on my podcast, but this idea, you know, going back to these sort of Sagittarian ideals, this idea that like veganism, for example, will, will save the world. Um, (laughs) and you know, like, oh, let's just have it, you know, you know, we can't kill any more animals and we're going to all wear like vegan fur or something or, you know, Mm -hmm. vegan leather. It's like, okay, but that's Mm -hmm. plastic. So (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you think, we think we're solving this one thing or we think we're eliminating death in one capacity and yet we're just sort of creating it in another. And we're, you know, I think there's a huge possibility for us to divert um, one disease and just place it elsewhere in society and sort of wipe our hands and pretend like it's fine. <laughs> well, exactly. And I mean, this is that's the whole point behind cancellation, uh, cancel culture. Totally. Right. You know, is like it is a little bit like fundamentalist mob justice. Like a bunch of people decide that someone is bad, wrong has done a bad thing and then they get completely wiped out and then you move on to the next target. Right. Um, I saw this was thanks to a friend of the show, Marin. Um, I don't, I don't have TikTok, but I saw a TikTok that she posted of a young woman um, who has a blog called the Indigo Times, which is a philosophy blog, and she's clearly a Pluto and Sagittarius person and or native. And she was talking about how her generation just basically finds the bad in everybody and cancels them, so they have no more heroes. Like they have no one to look up to because everyone's basically been canceled. Right. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. Like how sad that is. Is that when you need to find truth, you're so embedded in, in one version of truth that you can't see the nuance or you can't allow for, um, you can't allow for, for variation in behavior or identity. For sure. Yeah. I think it's a good opportunity to plug Marin's, um, podcast and documentary that she's making called death in the garden she i believe her partner jake is also a pluto sag but he's he's probably somewhere on the line there between scorpios and sages but she's definitely a pluto sag and i think her project is is i think at least trying to address this sort of more um comprehensive uh healthy side of sag and it's just funny because they started their project with this idea of like regenerative agriculture will solve every problem. And Mm -hmm. they, through their project, recognized their own um, idealism and how unrealistic that was and how simplistic Mm -hmm. that was. Um, And I think they're both sort of like psychologically wrestling with the complexity there. And I think that's what 
I think that's what we need to be doing across the board um, to be really careful, as you say, around mm -hmm. this fundamentalism and and be really careful as it relates to the avoidance that can occur within the Capricorn archetype. Right. Like, um, yeah, which is why, you know, as a as a method of avoidance or. Um, yeah, that we, you know, just try to climb the ladder or move very quickly and um, hoard resources and like. Yeah. Um, act as if everything is fine when it isn't. And yeah, I think uh, hopefully the Pluto Scorpios can can teach us all a bit about that and mm -hmm. just grieve with us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's all yeah. just cry. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank well, you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, where can people find you and, uh, learn more about all that you do? So you can find me at amalthiaastrology.com and Amalthia is spelled A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A -A -E astrology. And I am on Instagram though. I haven't really been very active in 2021, so feel free to follow me, but mostly I just repost things that people tag me in. Um, and I have a book that I want to recommend. Oh, good. I was going to like, I felt badly. Like how many times have you had on this podcast? How many times am I going to ask you to recommend a book? Um, but before you do that, I also want to say mm -hmm. that um, everyone should sign up for your newsletter. Uh, I feel like I respond to Jenny's newsletter every time she's <laughs> saying it, every time she sends it saying it's my favorite newsletter, but it really is. I um, at least personally very much resonate with your version of astrology and spirituality and find it to be extremely grounded and realistic and like low-key funny um yeah thank you, you know, dry humor you can, always uh, true <laughs> you can sign up for my newsletter on my website and um i email out on the new and full moons and i target the newsletter for people who don't know much about astrology yeah. and i usually talk about the new and full moons and usually with the lens of um, relationships and trauma is one of my big things that I talk about. I also always include poetry and a dollop of mythology, and I'm not very good at selling through my newsletter, so you probably will not be sold at very much through my <laughs> newsletter. Yeah, so thank think, you for that plug. Yes, I think it provides a very accurate representat representation of who you are as a well-rounded human. So it's like a little dollop of Jenny in my inbox. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, okay, what's the book? So the book is a 90s book. It's called The Hades Moon uh, by Judy Hall, Judy with a Y. And it's Pluto, an aspect to the moon. And... It's really a great book. It was written during the Pluto and Scorpio time, so it is very dark. There's a lot of mythology, a lot of looking at... Um, a, because it's hate, a Pluto in relationship to the moon, there's a lot about the mother wound and mm -hmm. mothering gone awry across generations in this book. And Judy Hall was uh, also someone who did uh, past life regressions and something in the 70s called, like, I think it was rebirthing where you would oh, like yeah. die and then become reborn yeah. on a weekend workshop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this book and um, 
from I often send excerpts to my clients because of the way she talks about the um, Pluto and Demeter Persephone myth or Hades Demeter Persephone myth. So Love I highly that recommend myth, yeah. that. Awesome. I feel like I need to get this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Um, I am going to play you out today with Star People by George Michael, obviously. Um, I love that that uh, little George Michael situation came up in this podcast. (laughs) It was very fun and very apropos of what we were discussing. And this song is really great. And um, I hope you appreciate it as much as uh, uh, we do. If you would like to sign up for the Lunar Circle, I am raising the price, so that means discount pricing ends today, Friday, September 24th at midnight Mountain Time. If you signed up for the waitlist, by the way, um, before I opened enrollment, you're good. You can still get access to the discount pricing through Monday, but if you didn't, um, tonight's the night to submit your information and enroll if you want to save 50 bucks, which is how much I am raising the price by. AnyaKotz.com slash Lunar Circle. If you have any questions or concerns or wondering what the payment plan looks like, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm super flexible and would like to make it work for as many of you as possible. Please enjoy the song and um, thank you, as always, for being here with me and giving me your time and energy and curiosity and appreciation. Um, I'm extremely appreciative of you. Bye, guys. Maybe your mama gave you a boy. Maybe your daddy didn't love you enough, girl.